Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode four, a monumental episode of Mythic Morons. I'm Chaney. And I am Sid. And Chaney, how good is it that we finally got our audio problems, fingers crossed, worked out on this one? Um, don't jinx it. Yeah, I'm not going to jinx it because we haven't heard it yet. So how stupid are we going to look if this is bad? But I think that everything is going to be good. So thank you for bearing with us for our previous episodes and bad audio but i think the ball is rolling on this um and we've got a pretty good discussion planned for you today cheney why don't you uh actually let me ask you a question cheney let me see how well you know me here what is what do you think is one of my favorite genres of all time one of your favorite genres yeah whether in film books tv any any of the mediums that's definitely sci-fi definitely right it has to be so that's why I'm pretty fucking excited for this episode of Mythic Morons today. And why don't you tell us why? Well, um, as discussed last week, we are doing, or we did, a Tom Cruise sci-fi-a-thon. And I think we actually picked two really good sci-fi movies that I'm excited to talk about too. Because I really love sci-fi as well. So, For sure. And how cool is it just to say a Tom Cruise sci-fi-a-thon? Like, that's never said in the world. That's not said enough, I think. It's only two movies. I'm sure there's more Tom Cruise sci-fi movies. No, but man. No. Minority Report. That I, I realized that while we were watching, too. Minority Report's a huge one. I think we should make a thing. like Yeah. Like, make a set movie list for Tom Cruise sci-fi-a-thons. Yeah, because I was realizing while, we were, while I was watching these two movies that we I could have kind of kept going with this, uh, this sci-fi um, collection of films that I was just, like, kind of coming across. But Minority Report's for sure another sci-fi Tom Cruise classic. Um, we watched this week two kind of underrated, I would say, greats for our time. Would I be speaking brash there, or would you kind of agree with me? Off your, I wouldn't your say... I don't want to get too much into it yet, but I would say I was pleasantly surprised by both. Okay. Especially Edge of Tomorrow. Was, was it your first time with either of those movies? It was not my first time with Oblivion, but I watched Oblivion like almost right when it came out. Oh, okay. So in the Oblivion. last time, and I was completely yeah. confused by the entire movie. Really? Um, then, not now, because I, I would kind of like just had a movie night with my parents that I wasn't really like actually watching, mm-hmm. and that was like what fucking seven years ago. Yeah, exactly. So Oblivion came out in 2013. So you must have been like around 14 13 14 15 I guess yeah so i had there. no idea what the fuck was going right. on tom cruise was just on my movie screen so yeah and that's that's kind of like we'll get into it i guess like it i didn't watch this movie really when it came out either i guess tom cruise isn't what i peg as like a sci-fi actor he's just always like fucking jack reacher or, or ethan fucking from Mission he's always Impossible, a guy named you know? jack in a movie he is always a guy named jack that's that's so true that's especially in this movie so i guess even while I was watching it, I was thinking the whole time, like, is that, like, that's just Tom Cruise in, in, in a sci-fi world, you know? Like, he just stands, sticks out like a sore thumb in pretty much everything he's in. So I think that's why I kind of went over my head initially when it came out. Like, it didn't scream out, like, oh, this is a new sci-fi movie. But, holy crap, I was wrong. This is, like, a crazy sci-fi film, in my opinion. Which one, Oblivion or Edge of Tomorrow? Oblivion, yeah, Oblivion. Oblivion, yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing, a little bit. Yeah, um, so let's just give off a little bit of the credits here. So Oblivion was directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Actually, both of these films 
are directed by Joseph Kaczynski, right? Are they? Well, I didn't check the director of Edge of Tomorrow. I actually just finished watching it like an, uh, two hours ago. Oh, yeah. I, I Same here. Like, literally same here. And, yeah. Oh, no. Never mind. Doug Lehman directed Edge of Tomorrow, which came out a year after Oblivion. Um, so, yeah. Joseph Kaczynski is the director of Oblivion, which came out in 2013. And Edge of Tomorrow came out in 2014. Um, but, they do, you know, they do kind of share a couple similarities, which is interesting for, like, Tom Cruise in the time. Like, this was, like, I guess a sci-fi period for him. You know, two years in a row of making sci-fi films. Yeah, I he was very committed to both roles. Like, he signed on, I know, for Oblivion. I don't know about Edge of Tomorrow, but he signed on pretty early for Oblivion. I think he signed on in 2011 or something like that when this really? movie was being planned. Okay. So, like, he was definitely invested in these stories, and he saw something in them. And Have you I heard especially... the that, like, that Tom Cruise gets overly involved in his movies, like, from the get-go, like, from the creative point? Or from the production point? Have you heard that? I did. I've actually never heard that before. No? No, well, I haven't at all. He's like, yeah, he's a really strong collaborator. So I, that's, I guess that must have been very conscious on his part of um, making these kind of sci-fi films in the times that he did. But yeah, sorry. What were you saying? What were you kind of going off of there? Um, oh, what was I going to say? You know, let's just do... Um, Let's just do a quick weekly catch up and then we'll, True, yeah. we'll we're, dive we're right into of, these. Yeah, yeah we're getting way ahead of it. I know I can tell yeah. you're excited about these. I, I did. Yeah. So sorry, guys, that was our little sneak peek into the main discussion, but we'll get into like what we were watching into this weekend. Cheney, why don't you start? What have you been catching up with? So pleasantly, F is for family. Season four came out. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know it was coming out. I just saw it that it did. And I was like, well, I guess I'm watching this all day. And I did. I watched it in a day. Nice. Um, nice, yeah. One thing about this new season, um, they didn't really the teaser at the, at the end of the third season. Um, it didn't really get as big of a payoff as I had wished it did in this season. Um, and the main family kind of takes a back seat in season four, but there's a huge strength in this season, and they really flesh out the side characters, which is, I thought was great because that means they have so much more to play with. And I think it'll make the, the show's longevity, um, thrive. So that's one thing I really enjoyed was, although like the main family plot kind of took a backseat and wasn't as strong as I was hoping, Mm -hmm. they really fleshed out a lot of the side characters, which I really enjoyed, especially one in particular who was, what, like looking back at it now, like in season one, he was just like a punchline character, mm-hmm. and they like really sort of make you dive deep and sympathize with him. In this season, I was like, wow, I never really expected to feel this way about this guy. So, oh, that's cool. So this, yeah, is, it was uh, really well done. Yeah, so this is I I haven't seen this show before actually. What what would you kind of compare it to? I guess I hate to like compare I guess shows to other shows if it, this stands on its own as being a good show, but what would you kind of in the style of comedy or whatever would you kind of compare it to honest honest to god Sid, i don't think there's anything quite like f is for family out there that's cool okay it's it's tough to um maybe in the realm of like bob's burger mm-hmm. or i'm not a big fan of um was it big head big head yeah uh, i haven't seen that 
either. I'm not a big fan of that one, no, but like okay. the the sort of humor and sort mm-hmm. of like having a pretty emotionally invested main storyline that has like good humor and wacky characters sort of sprinkled in to make you laugh and um it's a pretty unique show though um and it has a really unique story to tell because i don't think it gets told that that often so um, yeah and i'm just off kind of surface value like i'm looking off google here but I feel like the family animated, you know, like the animated sitcom family dynamic has been played out so many times, like Family Guy, Simpsons, uh, obviously those are the originals, but like there's so many of those kind of shows. So for you to say this kind of stands on its own, that it doesn't really compare to other shows, I guess is cool. Like that would, that in itself would make me want to check out at least a couple of episodes already. And yeah, I guess even like, you know, this shows came out, what, 2015, it says. So for a season four of a show to kind of give you that kind of depth is what you would be hoping for, I guess, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's why I was so happy that they fleshed it out because um, they're they at risk of just having these main characters just sort of be stretched out too far. They left right. some room for them and then they're adding more content and adding more potential content down the road because they focus so much on the side characters this season. Yeah. So really good. Um, if you haven't watched it, highly recommend you do. Tells a very touching tale of cool. basically just a family trying to get by, but the main character is voiced by Bill Burr, so yeah, he can just make and you it, laugh. The, I I love Bill Burr, and like the cast, the cast looks sick. You know, like this is like not a cast I would expect to kind of show up on an animated TV show. This is like all kind of like A list stars. You have Vince Vaughn, Sam Rockwell, Bill Burr. And Bill Burr's a creator, so he's probably got like a lot of his humor inbuilt, I would imagine. It's loosely based on his life as well. Oh, yeah? Yeah, based on his upbringing. So, um, <laughs> West Coast suburban family Yeah. with a okay. slightly abusive dad, but not even that abusive for that time period. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's really good. Well, I'll check it out. That's a good recommendation. You know, that off that little description, that's all I've heard so far of the show. And um, I would I would give it a shot. Yeah, it's uh, great. It makes me laugh so much as well. Um, yeah. Other thing, uh, I'm rewatching Hannibal because Hannibal got put back up on Netflix, and that's my favorite TV show ever. So I saw that. I noticed that really recently, and we were just talking about Hannibal in our first episode. So yeah, yeah, good timing um, for that. Yeah, yeah, Mads Mikkelsen, fucking master, fucking our boy, like so owns the Hannibal role, makes it its own. It's not like the movie one, which is, of course, iconic in its own way, but he yeah. really... Um, I think the TV format fits the Hannibal character more so than the movie format. Um, no, I could see that. I, You know, like, the way with how serialized TV is, kind of, those stories are being told now, it's a perfect format for an intense kind of mystery murder mystery if that's what is it what it is kind of going for like you know uh it's a it it allows the slow burn to build up and build up and build up and you know the lion is is behind the grass so you just don't know when it's gonna pounce and it's fucking fantastic and i fucking love this show so much i don't know how to it's like it's like twist after twist fucking like you do you even consider like those shows that are are those serials, I guess, you know, that are like Hannibal or, or 
or Breaking Bad or Mandalorian even that are, are just so great that it kind of just goes beyond just calling it a TV show, you know, like not to say TV shows aren't great in itself. Like there are some great TV shows, um, but these kind of condensed stories where you they really take advantage of that long format of storytelling that, you know, each episode can play out in its own arc. Yet there's an extended arc over a season and then over a couple seasons, there's even a bigger arc. You know, it's like just like the layers of storytelling that never end, you know? Yeah, Hannibal does that great it um it has each of those mini arcs contained within each episode but each Mm -hmm. one of those helps flesh out the um either the ideals or um the goal of the main characters and it stretches out the main plot um and it's it does it very it does it really well in the first season especially because like the first season um is sort of structured as you have a bunch of different murder mysteries contained within each episode, but eventually they all just link back to each other. And then season two does that even further where it's sort of the, um, season two is not to like get spoiled. It's not, this isn't really spoilery, but it's like, it's the, it's the get Hannibal season. It's like, Mm -hmm. he's starting to sort of come out of the weeds again. It's hard to say like the first scene of this, of the second season sets the stakes where it shows the end conflict from the last episode in the first scene. Yeah. I'm so lost dude. Cause I haven't seen it yet. I know it's, sure it's hard. For... It's like, I, I'll, I can ramble about the show for hours because I fucking yeah. love it so much. No, I'm so, sure whoever, whatever listeners are kind of like with you on that, like on who have seen Hannibal, they're, they're probably agreeing with you, but so uh, masterful, would, I, yeah. great performances. If, um, sort of, I can relate it to the lighthouse where it uses a lot of, um, suspenseful kind of cinema i'm not even going to try to attempt that word again but you know what i mean yeah they use it uses a lot of sim like sim like you don't know what's real you don't know like you see crazy crazy visions uh from the character's point of view it's crazy so it's like it's it fucks with your mind and that's why i say you don't binge this tv show you cannot because it is so dark. Is it too fucked up? Like it's, it's it gets it literally gets me fucked up. I remember first watching this show in first year university, and I watched the entire season or all, all three seasons within like five days, and it like fucked me up for two weeks. Oh jeez. Yeah, so it's 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 heavy, but so worth it. I would yeah, I mean, I would probably give it a shot just to watch Mads because he's great in pretty much everything. But uh, this yeah, is his good. best performance. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. You're just you're you're kind of putting this higher on my list every time we talk about it. I mean, after Game of Thrones shit the bed, it's my favorite fucking TV show. There's just too many good TV shows now. Like it's just I'm afraid it's gonna be one of those other shows that gets lost in the weeds for me. I get that, but like, um, I don't know if it's just me. Like I find it a I'm it's hard for me to commit even to great shows. Like, I'm good with watching a couple episodes, but, like, to really be drawn into a season or, you know, like, to commit to the whole run of a show, I'm finding that more difficult and difficult. And part of the reason is because I keep subscribing for more streaming services now. As this quarantine continues, I'm, like, at, like, five streaming services now. So there's, like, I'm not at a lack of binging or content, you know? Like, I'm just constantly trying to look for new shit. And that just leaves me, like, half-assing finishing shows pretty much. I'm the same way as you. I really need to 
Um, I've had a really hard time getting committed to TV shows, but um, I watched three episodes of Hannibal, and next thing you know, I'm done two seasons. So, oh, yeah. so, so it's like okay. So that sounds like Breaking Bad for me. That was pretty much the last time I remember kind of in in a sitting just killing a show was, which is so long ago now. But like probably, yeah, Breaking Bad for like how five seasons i guess i finished that in a march break so two weeks or one week yeah that was a good week yeah and it's it's a very digestible three seasons and that's all it needs to be so how many how many episodes per season 13 okay that's that's actually that's on the longer side side i guess i find it quite digestible i don't know but yeah, okay no i'll give it a shot i, I haven't given it a shot yet so it'd be unfair of me to speak otherwise but i would give it a shot for sure and then on and off, I've been watching um, Parks and Rec as well. I've started watching that. That show is very funny. And that's mm. all I have to say is that show is very funny. Yeah. it's. I've heard that's similar to The Office. Uh, very, very similar. Um, it's, it's it's a mockumentary too also, no? Yes, completely. Mockumentary. So okay. all my favorite comedy TV shows seem to be mockumentaries like yeah. Trailer Park Boys and The Office. Oh, have and, you? Oh, Trailer Park Boys, like... I want to get into an episode of Trailer Park Boys. Like, I got into that from uni. Like, in uni, I was, like, front. Like, if I didn't go to class in the mornings, I'd just be watching Trailer Park Boys till the evening, pretty much, with my roommates. So, I would want to get into an episode kind of comparing Trailer Park Boys to The Office because I could make a strong argument to say Trailer Park Boys is the Canadian version of The Office in, like, every single way. You know, it's, like, how, it show- how-, how The Office showcases American culture is how... Like the in the stereotype kind of way, and like the over the top kind of way, like that's what Trailer Park Boy does. So like that'd be a cool episode to talk further on that. Very. But I also wanted to ask yeah. you, like, have you have you seen um, what we do in the shadows? That TV, the TV show of that. I haven't seen the TV show, but I um, have seen bits and pieces of the movie. Oh, great! Another a great movie, a great movie, and the TV show. I've seen the first season now. That's a uh, a good continuation of that kind of style of humor that taika waititi does yeah the very um dry new zealand it's almost like an evolution of british humor it is that's a good way of saying it it's like how they use maybe it's because we're not like we're foreigners to that uh that obviously culture and everything of new zealand well i don't want to sugarcoat it but like that accent you know like we that's foreign to us so maybe we just find that kind of way of talking a little more funny but it is like such a specific style. Like I feel like how how can you com- what can you compare it to like almost like Wes Anderson the way that's like that awkward humor you know just from dialogue how how they you can how like a filmmaker makes dialogue just in itself awkward and funny. I think Taika Waititi does that like so well just like that awkward humor. Yeah, it's um I always, I compare it to British humor where it doesn't give you room to laugh. It just is non-stop so um where uh where, where are you watching what we do in the shadows uh i w- it, i had the fx app like loaded up on my phone from um because like with rogers or whatever so i was just kind of streaming on that yeah, you really are all over the place with the streaming services yeah i had to make sure like i have a folder with all the apps kind of in it just to make sure i have shit unlock you know uh, did you watch anything else? Yeah, a uh, couple of things happened this week. I 
I've wanted to get back more into a show that I was previously really into, which was called um, The Midnight Gospel. Have you heard of that? I I haven't, no. Okay, so that's another show created by... Um, so it's, it's a show... You know Duncan Trussell? You know who he is? Yes, I know Duncan Trussell. Yeah, so if for people who don't know, he's like been on the Joe Rogan podcast many times and like... I, I was going to compare it to like how we were just talking to F is for family, like with Bill Bird, like that two guys who are frequently on the Joe Rogan podcast have their own shows. But so this is Duncan's kind of like podcast form show. Like you, you said you never saw it. No, I've never seen it. Yeah. So this is like such a hard show to talk about because it's just, it's like a conversation. Like it's a, it's a basically a podcast into a show format. Like it's what we're doing now, which is having a conversation, but in in this kind of like psychedelic, trippy, animated world. Like, okay, if I'm just gonna break it down, it's basically within the show, there's a guy named Clancy, which is like this animated character. And it's like, he lives in one dimension, which is probably like, higher than other dimensions right and he has the ability to kind of go into other worlds like within his world through a simulator kind of thing so like this whole thing is going to like worlds into other worlds like very trippy very psychedelic out there ideas but within that so like within this kind of crazy out there setup he's having these really just amazing kind of conversations with these people like Honestly, I've never heard of most of the people that have been on the show, but, like, one guy was, so, like, a guy who was in prison for, like, all of his life. So he's talking about his, his experiences from when he was in prison, and they're all just kind of conversations about spirituality and consciousness and, like, just very mind-expanding conversations, like, truly mind-eye-opening kind of stuff. You know, like, if you're into, if you watch Joe Rogan's podcast or if you're into that kind of style of conversation where you know, like just an inquisitive kind of like question answer, trying to learn more about yourself or more about the world. Like the show takes that approach of conversation style with the most amazing, like out there visuals. Um, if you're like into, would, would you say you're kind of into that? I guess you are into Joe Rogan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just have a hard time grasping how they would like convert that into a show format. That's, that's what I'm having a hard time even trying to translate it to you. It's like, it's such an, I don't know how it works. It's truly amazing how they got it to work as a show. Um, like, honestly, I truly think it's like one of the greatest shows, like, if not just one of the most important shows people should watch. Just because like, if you're open to kind of like, like what we're doing now is like conversating and sharing our ideas and trying to share those ideas and like spread those ideas not just amongst ourselves but like to more people out there and like that's what the value of that show really is is like the more we kind of talk to each other the more we have these kind of conversations you inevitably learn more and like that's just the process of growth and like the whole show is this like very spiritual vibe of like expanding your consciousness and growing as a human being so I think it's an important show, not just a great show, but like an important show for people to watch. And I I watched the last episode of that season, like the first season today, and like honestly, it got me pretty emotional. Like in that episode, he's talking to his late mother, 
and like it's just such a like honest conversation between like a mother and a son you know like it just you cannot get emotional listening to that kind of thing and yeah it's just i don't know like if 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 you don't really get what i'm talking about i wouldn't blame you because it's i don't want to get i don't want to like paraphrase those conversations i just wouldn't do it justice but he just talks to like experts in very different fields or just like very smart people very intellectually up there people so i would recommend it to you cheney or like anybody listening that's for sure a show on netflix to watch how many episodes is that first season I think it's something like 10 episodes or nine episodes, something like that. And are they like an hour long? No, it's really short, actually. I think they range from like between 20 and 40 minutes, something like that. Okay, I can probably bang that out in a couple days. Yeah, easily like kind of like, you know, if if you're one of the people that kind of like put something on right when you wake up, put something on Netflix or like, you know, not doing much in the day or you just kind of want a background show while you're eating or doing homework whatever it's like kind of perfect for those situations easy to kind of like listen to in the background you don't have to pay attention to the visuals but like the visuals add so much more to it it's just it's unreal and if you watch it you'll like immediately know why i'm super fond of it yeah i'll give it a shot for sure Mm -hmm. cool and yeah did you also happen happen to see the uh playstation 5 reveal I didn't because I'm an Xbox guy, um, but I know of some games that I'd be interested in, but unfortunately are probably going to be PS5 exclusives, mm-hmm. um, even though I play on PC now, most of my games. so um, Yeah, I, I didn't know you were an Xbox guy, actually. I thought you were like probably more into PC. No, I've had even the Xbox since literally the first when the first one came out. We've I've oh, had yeah, an original okay. Xbox and 360 and then... Xbox One right now, so do you, do you prefer the PC to the consoles or? How right now I do. I've only had a PC for a couple of years, but um, mm. we basically just got Xboxes to play Halo because yeah, lots of nostalgia, probably more so than any other piece of media in my entire life is really? del- like yeah up in up in Halo. So yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people I grew up with say that like Halo was the biggest game for a lot of people, but I, you know, I had Xbox growing up too from the 360. I think that was my, no, that wasn't my first console, but yeah, I had the 360 and I never owned a Halo game, nor that I ever really wanted to. I was just more into Call of Duty back then, you know? If you like sci-fi, then, then Halo is definitely something you should check out. And just, um, Sorry, what were you, I'll let you finish. What were you saying? You can probably just watch the cutscenes, and you can get most of the story yeah. out of that. In but, terms, yeah. So, are you saying like to check it out in terms of the story, or like multiplayer is just because like people, I I feel like when people play Halo, they're talking more about the multiplayer. No, a lot of people are like that. The multiplayer was a big deal. Um, we could never afford Xbox Live, um, so like I was, I played through the campaigns of all the Halos, like tens and tens of like i can't even count the amount of times i played through the halo campaigns and Mm -hmm. um like so i i'm like really deep into the story i've read novels based on the on the halo universe so it's like like expanded universe with there is yeah there's a it's it's a rich enough lore and and history within the universe that there is like an eu an expanded universe that has a bunch of other micro stories within the main plot like the main plot is like 
I get it. Well, I don't like comparing things to Star Wars, but like in terms of the main plot, the main plot is as insignificant as the Star Wars main plot, if that makes sense. In in sen- in the sense of uh, like simplicity. In the sense of simplicity, and then also in context of the universe's history. Okay. So okay, it's so it's kind of massive. Into the middle, you're dropped into the middle of this massive epic story. That's what you're saying. Yeah, because they just like episode four. A New Hope, they never really expected it to get as big as it did, but they left right. enough in there to allow it to expand later on. Same thing with Halo Combat Evolve, the first one that came out in 2001. So, okay. That was the, that like just... one of the first video games I've ever played when I was four years old, was uh-huh. Halo. So, um, yeah, it's like... So I've never really been a PlayStation guy, ever. Okay, I got you. I've I've kind of been leaning more into PlayStation as the generations have passed. I started off with the, you know, like actually, if we're going to go into history, I had the PSP as probably my first handheld. No, actually, going back even further, my first handheld was the Game Boy, which is like so. I'm I'm a Nintendo boy, I guess, from heart, you know, the Game Boy and the old Pokemon games and all that shit. So like that went into the Wii. And then from there, I guess, like, growing up, like, you know, you kind of want to move away from Nintendo a little bit. So Sony was, like, the next step up there for me. Like, the PlayStation Portable was huge. And then the next step from there was, like, the PS2 and then the PS3 and the PS4. So I've always just been attracted to that line because of, like, the exclusive games that come with it. Not for multiplayer or any other reason. That I always had my 360 to, like, play COD with friends. But I was, and, like, even today for the biggest reason, like, playstation's games are by far better than xbox like xbox now really is banking on uh halo as their mainline title and that's like 20 years old at this point Unless i would i would agree like that xbox has some i would agree that playstation has better exclusives right now um yeah i won't deny so, yeah. that games like bloodborne pretty sure you're Death Stranding game is exclusive to PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, they they got Demon Souls. They're doing the remake, which is the thing that really caught my attention. Yeah, um, I, I saw that in the review also. Yeah. So that's going to be PS exclusive. So I um, I would agree they have better exclusives right now, but Xbox is sort of addressing that. Um, and they like. Bought up I a saw bunch the of Xbox reveal too. Yeah, they did. They they bought like a bunch of studios and are like making more original games now. I guess too, right? Yeah. So they got an event coming up in July. Um, that's going to showcase all the Xbox exclusive games. So I'm waiting oh, cool. on that. Um, yeah. Either way, I'm probably not going to buy the next generation. I'll just upgrade my PC parts and then yeah, I'll be good to go for however long again. Yeah, the main reason I actually wanted to bring it up was, like, some of the original games that they announced in this reveal kind of caught my eye, which was the uh, the new Spider-Man game, which they announced was Spider-Man Miles Morales. Did you, when the Spider-Man came out, see anything about that? Like, watch the cutscene movie or... I know you didn't play the game, but did you look it, into that game at all? I definitely... I, um, I watched the story on YouTube, all the cutscenes. Yeah. Um, is it... I was confused though. Was it um is it a Miles Morales game or is it just gonna be DLC? They said it's gonna be a standalone game. So it's not a sequel to 
the first Spider-Man game that they released, but this is going to be like within the universe its own standalone game that you have to pay uh, like an additional whatever fee for, you know, like not a DLC price. Yeah, okay. Cuz I saw people were complaining that a lot of the locations that were showcased had been already used so they're not like changing mm-hmm. maps which a lot of or no. it looks like they're not changing maps which a lot of people are kind of disappointed by because if they're gonna base a whole new game but still have the same map it's kind of um disencouraging to yeah it's to a per- bit i guess like a bit of um it's what they said was they're taking those assets from the previous game so like the manhattan island i guess and they'll just build on top of that so like from what i saw the graphics already look a little better from the original spider-man game and i guess they're kind of putting a little tweaks here and there like weather more dynamic weather more i guess like kind of better lighting i hope better environmental graphics stuff like that and miles morales's character i guess is from brooklyn also so hopefully that becomes a playable part of uh the the, the map so hopefully that it's a bigger map in this game um but i played the game like right when it came out that was a big reason that I bought the PS4 was just for that game. And I thought, like, as far as Spider-Man stories go, it's one of, like, the best Spider-Man stories and best Peter Parker portrayals. Um, would Like, if you've seen the movie, would you kind of agree with me there or, or think, nah, there's better in the movies? Again, like, I've always been on the other side of the bridge of this. I've always really consumed DC content, so I've never really been a Spider-Man guy. But I know a lot of the gripes people had with the Peter Parker and the Spider-Man in the new MCU movies were erased or pushed to the back and people that um, I know or that I heard online that are pretty big Spider-Man fans um, they definitely thought this was a more accurate portrayal of what the character is supposed to be you know he's Mm -hmm. supposed to be this broke guy who's just trying his best he doesn't have Tony Stark fucking trillionaire looking after him mm-hmm. in, the, in the background all the time it's just peter parker trying to get by but also trying to be a hero so i definitely thought that the story was definitely well told it kind of took a interesting take on something i never saw which is the relationship between spider-man and doc ock so yeah it was that was cool deeper than the movie kind of as a conflict uh, of like their relationship was much closer their conflict I guess was much more felt I felt like from him and even the other villains like you like as, as far as stories you kind of get dropped right into goes like we're not given the origin story again like you, you're with a Spider-Man in this one where he's been Spider-Man for a couple of years and like these are villains that he's other than Doc, Doc, Doc Ock but most of the villains are villains he's encountered so he's I veteran spider-man at this point and which is cool you know like coming spider-man always used to be like one of my favorite superheroes growing up the sam raimi spider-man films are always going to be like in my top 10 of greatest not greatest i want to say like that but like definitely my favorite films of all time um are those sam raimi films like that's a huge part of my childhood so spider-man as a character is up there as influence but this spider-man being a grown-up spider-man is a cool perspective because like we haven't got that like you know like growing up yourself you want to see that kind of reflection in the characters that you watch and this spider-man kind of takes like a mature more like 
realistic look at like what's a what's a 22 year old or 24 year old spider-man you know like this guy's gonna have relationship problems this guy's gonna have family problems like you get much more into the relationships of who peter parker is and like you you were saying too it's just like it's kind of taking the best of the spider-mans from the movies and like almost making like a best of the story i think like a good uh cumulative of the spider-man attributes you know the, what he stands for what he is as a character it takes all those points and kind of tells a really good story based around those yeah for sure and i'm not like a spider-man expert but definitely um an enjoyable story and they made peter especially in in the, that, that spider-man game really well fleshed out and I could sympathize easy with him, so um, it'd be it's cool to see what they're gonna do with Miles because I heard I've never I don't really know yeah. much about Miles. I didn't even watch into the Spider Verse. Oh no! But that's, no, that's like that's another. I guess like that's what almost I was hoping for you to bring up because I thought a lot of people say that that's their that iteration of Spider Man is their favorite uh, Spider Man story. I guess in general, like that. I never felt that way from it. Like I think it's a really good film, but. Do I think it's the best Spider-Man film? No. So, I've like I've heard that point before. So I almost was expecting you to kind of give that counter to the to the Spider-Man story. But you are saying you're a DC guy. So what would what was the superheroes that you were growing up with, or the comic books you were reading and stuff? Um, obviously, Batman's my guy. Um, he's pretty much like there's just that one Justice League cartoon. So I really liked. Batman and then Green Lantern out of that Justice League cartoon who was mm-hmm. not Hal Jordan he's the other John Stewart John yeah John Stewart the yeah, black one the, the black, black that's the one I that's the one I grew up with was the black Green Lantern too what, what show was that the Justice League uh, of America show it was just called Justice League and then like three or four seasons in it was called Justice League Unlimited so right. um it was the like the original creators of shows like Batman the animated series and um, Batman Beyond, and they work on this. Um, they they just said fuck it, let's do a Justice League cartoon too. So really talented people worked on the show, and it was kind of like before the MCU was a thing. You would see crossover episodes with like different TV shows done by the same guys that did justice league sort of crossover so shows like static shock they'd bring in that character and then they'd go to the future and they might be with batman beyond and and stuff like that so it's like that was a really fleshed out and really good show and i always tend to go back and rewatch episodes when i can when they pop up on youtube so that was mostly my dc thing yeah, I always felt like DC's strongest kind of films were always their animated films or even their shows. You know, like even till today, I think rather than their live action movies, their animated films that they release are are far better in quality. I'm just waiting for the Zack Snyder cut. Yeah, are you into that? Are you into that whole movement? You know what? I think I am because when I heard how much was left on the cutting room floor, it was incredible. He had Zack Snyder had four hours of footage. Like it was like a four hour movie without yeah. cutting anything. 
and then and what we saw was half of that so no less how, well it was a two-hour cut what was right but theater. like even the content we saw within it oh right. was reshot there was a lot of reshot right there was a lot of reshot man joss whedon really like they they did Zack snyder dirty because they essentially made a joss whedon movie and put Zack snyder's name on it so i could see why he's pissed you know like the guy's movies never got released so like potentially we only get we've only seen 25 percent or even less of what yeah, Zack no, snyder had originally said. put out yep that's what he said he said you've only seen one-fourth of the story essentially which is nothing like you know like there's a whole mythology of what he was trying to do which is why like i'm also really into uh like you know people will say what they will about Zack snyder as a filmmaker and storyteller and director i think you know like he's a he's not he's almost in a league of his own from other directors like he's not like christopher nolan in in the sense of how he made batman or other filmmakers you know and their takes like he i can see the care he kind of puts into the story and like he was really trying to build a, a world and this universe and maybe you know the studio was trying to rush the thing with like how avengers set up their franchise and you know i i think it, this franchise would have benefited so much if they had really just like allowed each character to kind of have their own movie and let that mythology build through a series of films not to just copy marvel but like you know like i i like what they're doing now though also just every stories doesn't have to mean shit to the other one you know like let it be its own thing like the joker like that's also pretty cool but yeah like we need to see what 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 the guy was making with a four-hour cut for sure right and it's gonna get released in like a non typical format so usually movies aren't allowed to be four hours long like no like for fuck's sakes like when hateful eight was in theaters they had to give an intermission because it was so long right because that movie yeah because that movie's like three and a half hours or something stupid so like i know on netflix they even released like a like almost like a six hour cut of that i think or like something longer but um I think HBO is almost debating to cut it as a show, as like a four episode show, which would make sense subscribers wise. Like if if people just kind of, I know like if I subscribe for HBO Max, it would just be to watch that movie. But if they say like, oh, we're going to extend this into a multi-week episodic kind of story and you got to stay on board, then, you know, I could see them doing it that way just to bank a couple more bucks. I guess, but, but like, I really want them yeah. to, to try the four hour thing. Cause like, yeah. I know movies, it's like hard to keep someone's attention for four hours. And like, well, how cert- long was, how long was the Lord of the Rings? Like the longest Lord of the Rings? Oh, fuck. It's fucking, I think Return of the King director's cut is just over three hours. It's actually right. not even as long as Hateful Eight, but it's up there. But it's up there. Yeah. And I know those are, they release extended versions of those movies also just to like kind of add on some scenes or add on extended cuts of the scenes and so you know like if if they can release those in theaters there shouldn't be a problem with releasing a four-hour justice but that's the thing though it's not the same story no what oh because in the sense that it was totally rewritten this is not the same story that snack cider is putting out it's got like jason momoa put out a teaser today yeah i saw that and it's literally just dark side is now the main villain so no but dark side was always the setup villain from the beginning like he was gonna be in the movie but they cut him out like and then the they Emperor, didn't even you know? they didn't like they kind of alluded to him a little bit but not in a way it's like oh not enough it was like just like the, a line it was a throwaway line 
oh, all hail dark side, some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a throwaway line. And then the teaser for the next Justice League movie was a, not even dark side. It was fucking, um, oh God, the Legion of Doom. Yeah. So. Yeah, I know. And that, like, man, the amount of stuff Zack Snyder was setting up. I remember the end of Batman vs. Superman with the Legion of Doom set up. Like, that, where was he going? What kind of story was he telling, you know? and That's not Zack, Zack Snyder. What do you mean? That wasn't Zack Snyder's, like... That's the thing, though. This is a completely unique situation to anything we've ever seen with regards to movies ever. Because, like... Oh, I know. Yeah, for sure. Like, we've never... Like, it's not some director just releasing what he... His edit of the movie. So, adding certain scenes and taking certain scenes out to, like... To, like, express more or less his vision. This is... Zack Snyder had a movie... It was taken away from him because of tragic reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he has full reign again. And he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just put what I had originally envisioned into Back play into and it. see what happens. Yeah. But, okay, here, this is where it even gets a little more complex, though, because th- th- this is what he said. I would watch the, uh, he did like this whole um, uh, experience of like he rewatched from. Man of Steel to Batman versus Superman to yeah I think just those but like he rewatched them live and like live streamed it all so he was answering a bunch of questions into the behind the scenes of it all and he said like the original script that they or like the original idea they had for Justice League and I guess they wrote it into the script like they had a Justice League 1 and 2 if you remember that there was supposed to be after 1 came out in 2017 2 was supposed to come out in 2018 right after and it was supposed to be two halves of the same story essentially like it was gonna be like how infinity war and endgame were essentially a part one and part two and he said even eventually what he had to shoot still wasn't that initial idea because batman versus superman was received the way it was so like at that point warner brothers warner brothers just lost confidence in him completely and his vision they were just like you gotta dumb this shit the fuck down like people aren't with it bro which is stupid because that's just like you know the vocal minority who was talking it was people know. who didn't even care about the movies in general like obviously yeah, like batman vs superman i thought was very bad um it's not a great movie it's it's not a, even a good movie but it's fucking entertaining and you know the ent- the extended version is a much better movie if you've ever seen that the three hour cut of no batman i haven't superman. oh dude it's it's the movie that should have been released in theaters because again you know this is batman versus superman and justice league like fuck about the avengers like that was the biggest superhero team for any kid growing up it was the first superhero team ever it was the first no the first is power rangers okay yeah but are you talking about in life like in the history of the world or in people's hearts because in my heart it was power rangers no we're not talking about hearts i'm talking about like literal history in terms of like okay Look like for sure cross it, story team ups. Then it was Justice League. They were the first. The Justice League like of America. Integral of like American history. Yeah, like just yeah, you know. So those movies deserve the epic m- main like fucking theater experience. You know, like the fact that it's being put on HBO Max and you got to see it only on that is you know like take what we can get, but it yeah it shouldn't be a show. I don't think it should be a four hour epic. Like this is what we were going to show you. And now you're finally going to get it. You know, like as fans, like, holy fuck, like we, we, 
no, I don't want to say we like I did anything, but like people, I guess you know, just people are amazing for that. To, I like, never lobbied the studio. Mm-hmm. I never lobbied for the Snyder Cut because I didn't think it would happen. But, no, I didn't um, either. I thought it was such a fool's dream to think like, wow, like these people are committed to like a cause that is just, you know, like it's cool. Like I, it was cool how he interacted with his fans with behind the scenes pictures, and I always looked at that thinking like, wow, what a you know, like even if the movie's bad or was gonna be not great it still had a bit of greatness there you know the intention I, I always believe in the intention you know if people's intention behind the thing are out of like not to sound sappy but like love you know like they really love that property that story and they're telling you with like coming from a pure place then you know as an audience you're gonna pick up on those things whether the movie is critically like a great movie it's not gonna be the Citizen Kane it's not gonna be a Blade Runner or like you know anything profoundly awesome and you know profound at the same time but if i can sit through three hours of batman kicking superman's ass and then reuniting at the end of it and you know like it's somewhat good and i'm you know i'll buy that like fuck who wouldn't buy that whether we like it or not whether the snyder cut is good or not this sets a new precedent and it like this is movie history it's so weird to say it like that, like this subpar superhero movie, sort of lifeless, soulless thing that made almost no money and made Warner Brothers shit their pants and like redo every single DC property, like rearrange it. it. Well, it restructured Warner Brothers. If yes. You look into yeah. Well, movie. That's a good thing that you mentioned about movie history because that movie had to like restructure the entire studio of Warner Brothers and historically, one Warner Brothers is still like one of the strongest studios. Like you know it if Disney doesn't take it over, you know, but, um, yeah, like they had to let go of a lot of people after that movie came out. Yeah. And then, so like, historically speaking, this is the first time anything like this has ever happened. And it's only happening because of a fucking national pandemic, because people are scrambling to get content out so they can continue Mm -hmm. to to get revenue for these media companies. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. It wouldn't happen because, it, like, if it wasn't for the pandemic, that's that's true. Because there was like, you know, this release of Snyder Cut thing was going on for like a couple of years now, and for the longest time, even Warner Brothers was saying like, there's not a chance it's happening. But I think AT and T now owns the company, like Warner Brothers and HBO. So they made that last second kind of split decision call that was like, no, fuck, are you guys doing? Like, you're releasing a streaming service with no original content. Or no noteworthy content. Like, who's going to buy into that? And you got, like, 10 million people on Twitter telling you they're going to pay you to release that movie. fuck are you doing? Give that guy the money and release that movie, you know? What are they giving him? Like, $30 million to finish it? Yeah, it's like, it's not even like they need to shoot anything. All the footage is there and everything else can be special effects. Oh, bro, he asked, can I shoot more? Ooh, that's, that's a slippery slope. That's a slippery slope. We might get a six-hour Justice League movie. Yeah, man. Like, holy fuck. He, he could be like, oh, I, I, I had time to think, man. I know what, what you guys want, actually. and Or not, not even that, but just, it, yeah. But I don't think they're giving him that kind of flexibility. I don't think Ben Affleck wants to come back and do Batman again, either. I think oh, they're all over it. Oh, God, no. No. I don't know. And he shouldn't. No. Poor guy went through too But honestly, as far as Batman's go and Bruce Wayne's go, I really like Ben Affleck as, a, as both. I did too. Um, it was nice having a beefy Batman. Yeah. If you know what I mean. He, 
yeah, he reminded me a lot of the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, uh, that's what a lot like very comic book accurate, very comic book accurate. Like yeah, even the costume was was yeah. the big bat, the big the big bat. Big bat. The the texture, that kind of like fabricy texture, like it looked like it didn't like I don't know, it looked like fucking ripped out of a comic book. I think that's what I really liked about the DC universe that Zack Snyder was creating was it didn't necessarily have to be the most comic book accurate thing, but it could stand parallel to the comic book storylines. I think he was kind of trying to go for an injustice, like dark Justice League kind of story, which, like, what the fuck, man? Like, that's awesome. Like, a dark superhero team up movie? Like, I want the anti Avengers movie. I want to see dark shit in a superhero movie. You know, like, we're getting Avengers. We're getting all the happy shit. Why would you get the director of Avengers to do Justice League and make it an Avengers movie? Like, that just. Who's, like, you know, like, holy fuck. There's Maybe the market, the like, in terms of, like, I know you're not a f- the biggest fan of general audience stuff, but, like, in terms of marketing, like, it's probably better for the studio. That's what they were thinking. That's, that's what they were thinking. Like, it didn't end up at, that look way. Look at how it ended up. Exactly. So, we're, who's, you know, who's to say who's right? But they're definitely not thinking. That's what I mean. Like, you people shouldn't think from the perspective of general audience too much. That shouldn't have too much weight, you know? And that sort of leads into our main discussion. Sure. Yeah. Perfect segue. Good job, Cheney. Continue. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> so I picked these two movies specifically because they were, well, one, they starred Tom Cruise. And despite the Scientology stuff, Tom Cruise is a fucking badass motherfucker. So yeah, um, no doubt. No doubt. They're both sci-fi films as well. Mm-hmm. Um in that sort of wide genre they're completely different films but still both have sci-fi settings but they didn't make any money and no one saw them whatsoever and those Which two movies are so weird yeah so it's weird. oblivion in 2013 starring tom cruise and then edge of tomorrow lived i repeat in 2014 starring tom cruise so yeah. Um, I think we should start with Oblivion because I have sort of some. Um, I got one thing. This was probably like out of either of these movies, Oblivion mm-hmm. was the movie I wish was more successful than Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I'm. I'm almost. I'm. I kind of agree with you there too. I'm. I'm more shocked at Oblivion's lack of success or. Not even just money-wise, but just out of, like, appreciation of a sci-fi movie. Like, people appreciated Edge of Tomorrow, but, like, I... Oblivion went over my head, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people's head, you know? So, yeah, I agree. I think it set up a setting. Um, If you look at, like... I want to look at, like, 280 sci-fi franchises that had, like, a pretty simple, straightforward first story but it allowed them to expand outwards and that would be like I'm not saying Oblivion is as good as these two movies because I don't think it is but like mm-hmm. Ridley Scott's Alien and then Predator mm-hmm. um, where you have these two sci-fi franchises that have like humble beginnings that sort of branch out to like a, a wider setting and I think Oblivion has the world that they created for Oblivion has that potential. And I was really sad that like it wasn't as successful and like we don't even get like 
graphic novels or any other no, short story that goes along with it. Yeah. It's such a it's such an amazing sci-fi world. Like I that's a good comparison to Alien that it kind of establishes this like it's very sci-fi. Like down to the um just like all the you know like the rebellion that's happening on okay I, I, we should just start by saying this conversation of the main discussion we'll get into spoilers we'll try not to hit major plot points because both these movies kind of have twists so don't want to ruin the big twists but we are going to get spoilery but you know what I'm kind of talking about how this movie has all those elements of a sci-fi that you want and I didn't expect that coming into this movie at all like to I, I was expecting a very straightforward like from the opening frame of just Tom Cruise talking, like narration, I was like, oh, like they're they're going in the narration route to explain this world. Like I wasn't I wasn't into it from the beginning. I'll be honest, like right from the opening narration bit. But as the story was kind of building on the world and you know, it, it really sells you on a couple points early on, like of, of who 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 are the heroes, who are you rooting for and what are people doing on this world? And it, it, it kind of just everything reinforces just yeah the world I guess they're trying to create without saying it too many times but what did you think of that opening from from the narration because I know you're not a big narration fan but how do you think that either helped it or didn't help it I guess the thing is like I this was my second watch of the movie and I knew there was a twist yeah so I kind of just cruised along through the movie waiting for the twist to happen because I knew the twist was big and I didn't understand it the first feeling however many years ago that was like seven years ago so um, I think like this being my second viewing and just having a vague idea of what the plot was it really actually maybe enhanced my viewing because you actually get um, further perspective into the ideal that t- that the the main characters are in. If you rewatch mm-hmm. the beginning, you're like, oh, like they're actually well, like. No, I, I I definitely thought about that after. Like I I had to rework my my framing of the beginning after the twist happens. You know, then because every obviously you know, it's not just a narration just to bog down exposition. It's I think there is a purpose there. It's trying to show like. The you know like how this information is just basically fed to Tom Cruise's character to Jack Jack Harper whatever his name is yeah the most basic Tech Four Nine Tech Four Nine which is you know like all that shit is so fucking cool to me the, the, like he's Tech Four Nine out of how many techs like that's what I you know? like how like I was talking like um I was watching this with my girlfriend I was like and like at the end I was like how cool would it have been if like we got to see the the I, I can't actually no we can't get into that yet fuck anyways save the deep spoiler stuff for like the end end I yeah guess. for sure um but yeah like what i like think about the beginning portion it's like it's mm-hmm. set up like a cliche sci-fi movie yep yeah big time on purpose yeah like big time like on purpose like it made people it's trying to give you yeah it's trying to give you all the tropes up first like here are the rebel rebel faction or the aliens that are antagonizing the humans earth and was attacked your, and now yeah, it's earth was up attacked to by aliens like, jack harper to save it was, humanity 
you know, there's there's actually a lot of similarities between the opening of um, Edge of Tomorrow and Oblivion, in in that sense of like how narration is used and how they're trying to sell you an idea. The whole thing is about like selling you this idea in both the movies, and um, that's why I, I actually thought like both the films were directed by the same person. There's some just directorial choices that are very similar. But just like hitting on our main theme of why this movie might not have been so successful in 2013 is because there was a sci-fi movie in 2013 that came out very similar to uh, Oblivion. Do you know what it was? No, I didn't. I didn't see. It was Elysium starring Matt Damon, which is another movie about a guy wearing an exoskeleton suit on a dystopian Earth with a floating space station above him out of reach i fucking watched that movie too elysium with matt damon yeah dude yeah how much kate did you look at the yeah did you look at the box office yeah so it's not too much of a different box office like oblivion definitely um did worse as as critically and commercially goes so i think yeah it might have stolen some of the flame from oblivion yeah, it's and I can't remember Elysium that much, but I definitely like Oblivion more on every aspect, like from the sci-fi tone of like just how how deep it went into sci-fi and all the visuals, man. Like, can we talk about the visuals also and like the score? And okay, just yeah. There's one thing I want to talk to you about this. Okay. Yeah. You, I, you, you've brought this up in like our private conversations a bunch, like um, the the use of um, an LED screen in the Mandalorian. As, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. Right? They fucking yeah. used it in this movie. They did. Yes. Yes, sir. This is one of the first movies to use that style of projection. Uh, like front screen, almost like, yeah, like an LED projection in, in, in real-time camera photography, you know? So it, and what a good use of it. Like, you know, I, would, I, I love that they did that instead of a green screen. Like that just sold it to have like a real sense of the sky that they were above in the clouds kind of thing like the aesthetic just from set design to the props like everything was just so clean and cool the how you want a sci-fi film to be yeah they went and they like went to like tips of mountains and shot cloud footage mm-hmm. um to project it around the set and like everything that at all like all the set shots that happen within their their base their sky base all of that is done with no green screen. It's all projection, except for maybe like some CG renders of the scene. But like everything in and around, like on the landing pad, like that's all practical with the LED, which is with the LEDs. And, and then all, what the LED is showing is also practical footage. So it is just you know, it's just good composition there. So I think this um, movie might age quite well actually, because it uses yeah. a lot of practical stuff and like sure. smart uses of cgi and other things yeah like it i i couldn't tell when the cgi was used you know like there's obvious uses of it but you're not paying attention to it ever and it's because they established that use of practical like you get a sense like this is the real world and another thing i really loved about it is big death stranding vibes bro big death stranding vibes i know you would like i um the this movie probably has because i don't know i didn't play death stranding so i don't really know like obviously like the apocalyptic the apocalyptic landscape to me for this movie was 
pretty unique on how yeah. like like those fucking sets where like the earth is raised up up to skyscrapers yeah. and like skyscrapers oh now act as canyons and waterfalls and shit like that it was like there was so much effort put into this world yeah and there's so many more nooks and crannies to sort of get yeah, through and that's that's the best thing about like a good sci-fi movie will take its time in the details like that and make you want to think of the greater world and like the story at like at large you know <clears throat> like there's a greater story there and and we're kind of just telling one piece of that or we're kind of being shown just one piece of that through one lens one perspective and i love that through each frame i can get lost in in that world and like just seeing like a city is buried down there, you know, and this guy's driving a motorcycle on top of that, and he's, you know, holy fuck, it's just everything I love about sci-fi. It's just such a care and attention to the details, and, like, that's, I, I, I don't know if Death Stranding took inspiration from it, but there's, like, some plot similarities, but major visual similarities um, with, like, just how, like, how it's shot and, like, maybe even where they shot it if this film was shot in Iceland, which I think it was. Um, Parts kind of it of having were. Parts of it were right, so yeah. Then big visual uh, inspiration from that, but like you know, like just the idea of a story taking perspective of um, from like a worker's perspective, like initially when we meet Jack as a character, he's Tech Four Nine, like he's what we're told as a uh, uh, the leftover cleanup crew on Earth, and just doing these menial task jobs. And I love how we're introduced to the world in that kind of a way. And, like, we see him just carry out these routines and we see all the equipment he handles and, like, you know? We see his daily life um, and what's normal for him. So when we're given that call to adventure, we can sort of come along with him on that. Yeah. So we know, like, we know we're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah. And what rating was this movie? Uh, A PG-13, I assume? It was because originally Disney was the one who was producing it. Um, oh, okay. But they forced it to be PG, and um, he backed out, and he stood his ground, and then um, Universal picked it up, and they allowed the PG-13. So Okay, good. Like, fucking clap, thumbs up, all the, all the love to Tom Cruise for that. Um, because, like, this hit PG-13 to the fucking limit. There were some scenes that were just, like, had me, like, holy fuck. I'm watching this at home, but having a full-on theater experience, you know? That it's just, like, it's violent, but it's, like... You know when the scene in like the drone is coming into the into the rebellion cave or whatever, yep, and just starts blasting away, just and you see bodies explode, like evaporate, and you know I fucking love that. Not to sound gruesome or whatever, but like when a when a movie just takes risks like that, like this that could have easily just been like holy fuck, tone it down, but you know it's it's not like these are the circumstances that the film sets up the stakes that it sets up is like yeah you need to see shit like that to really care about the characters ultimately so i think it hits the nail on the head of for for tone and and uh and uh yeah you talk about a cinematic experience um Mm -hmm. and it really is just that it's it's uniquely Mm -hmm. a cinematic experience and i think a large portion of that has to do with the sound design of this movie oh yeah like the and yeah the score and the sound design for sure i want to like touch upon like you talked about the drones like the drones have some sort of menacing personality and i th- attribute that mm-hmm. highly to that sound design like that 
drone sound is really unique and I have no idea how they did it. Mm-hmm. Or the sound of the of the scavs. Like scavs communicating with each other. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like it's it's you would think like oh they, these are like alien sounds but they're probably recorded from just the most basic things that are just probably tweaked a little bit but yeah it it, it just bring it just sells it all the more you know it's just those little details yeah that's like everything in this movie is like meticulous it's well thought out yeah it's, it's well thought out it's yeah it it's like i would think like if i compare it to other sci-fi films like blade runner is what i will always compare as a great sci-fi film to other things but this kind of, I would say, stands on its own two feet, really, as a sci-fi cinematic... I don't want to say a masterpiece, because there's some gripes I have with it, but very small gripes. Like, that narration, I think I'll get over it in second or third viewings. But, you know, at the end of the day, I will watch this movie a second or third time, just to keep seeing, from a visual standpoint, that world and, like, that story. Like, did you get Star Wars vibes a little from this story? Because I did, like, majorly. Uh, I know I didn't get Star Wars whatsoever. I got no, no. Uh, well, maybe like in the last part, but the third act. Okay, no, the third. I'll, I'll say more specifically, the third act is big Star Wars vibes, um, in the sense almost not even just the original Star Wars, but from episode four to nine, almost kind of condenses that story, or at least bits and pieces I found of that story, and does certain things even a little better, and like how star wars is almost taking the simplistic narrative approach and just you know just telling an epic story like that like this kind of gets within those specificities and just kind of blows them up i found like this really gets into the point and getting into spoilers here but gets into the point of a soldier turning away from the cause that he was kind of programmed or brought up to follow and like finding a new cause a a quote-unquote rebellion and like giving his or like dedicating his whole life towards that or like you know and yeah i'll I'll let you go i'll let you kind of go before i want to get my big spoiler kind of thing out of the way but yeah did you after kind of seeing it a second time did you get that sense or no no um i always this is way more sci-fi than star wars is sci-fi for sure yeah yeah so star wars is more fantasy than sci-fi i wouldn't even put star wars in the realm of sci-fi um yeah no um and this and this movie also sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but this movie also begs a lot of those sci-fi questions like uh just like what it means to have a soul like what is a soul you know like who are we in terms of great technological advances like where does humanity fit in in that yeah and this exactly yeah this movie does that pretty well i thought Mm -hmm. um what was it oh yeah in terms of like the story structure like i like looking at if you take large genres there's a general template for each genre and i like exploring that mm-hmm. um so for example i give you western stories like western stories is person comes to town there's a problem person solves problem leaves town simple story for sci-fi movie for sci-fi stories in general it's um it's group of people face um, environmental problem in terms of like there isn't like a general antagonist there's a problem well, the world the world is their antagonist yeah the world is their antagonist but and they need to find 
Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, and they need to find um uh ingenuity they need to use ingenuity to fix that problem for themselves. Mm-hmm. I think sci-fi is a lot it, it's a it's a like as a genre, it's a vehicle to get into humans problems. Like how do you explore what being a human is? The best way is to compare humanity to something it on the surface really isn't you know machines like the things that we create as humans it's what splits us from what is human at the end of the day you know like a cell phone is the furthest thing away from what a human being is you know it's it's cold it's robotic it's like it's detailed in in precision and purpose and all that kind of stuff where humans are lost in what we're trying to do and all the confusion is within the humans so i think what a, a sci-fi film or as a genre i guess just tries to do is explore that range it's such a big range and that's what i'm so drawn into of it of like like you're saying western has these tropes also the 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 gunslinger the bounty hunter the loner lonely cowboy who's coming in to save the day or you know whatever it is whatever it may be like sci-fi also has these symbols and tropes one is like just the world the setting like how is that imposing upon the main character or the protagonist or whatever you know what i mean and you get that in in this movie like it sci-fi should just build upon those things and try and show it to you in new ways or kind of twisty or creative ways and like my takeaway from this movie was like here's something like we'll give you something that you know you've seen blade runner you've seen all these sci-fi so we'll give you something along those lines but show you it in a way almost that you weren't going to expect we'll take you around a couple times in a circle and then you know finally show you something new i guess right but still harp it back to that main thing right, about humanity classic. so yeah yeah the classical things yeah right so i'll get into like a minor spoiler here but like the sort of like the at the, the sent the thesis i guess is that or the sent home message is that like you can't doubt humanity like humanity was sally's downfall mm-hmm. in the end mm-hmm. so yeah. humanity coming together or yeah no it's like, like um okay well, full spoilers now um it's sally underestimated humanity she thought that she could just control jack and mm-hmm. use him in a way that's like just right like disposable to her against- yeah. But little did she know that, like, humanity is stronger than she can ever imagine. And, like, through recollecting his memories and then eventually finding his wife. And, like, because of that, he's able to overcome the very thing that dehumanized him in the first place. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, he never lost his humanity, no matter how much Sally or the machines tried, I guess, to... to the amount of times they replicated him and hopefully were trying to attempt to scrub his memories further. You know, it didn't work. That humanity stuck. And that's another cool thing I found in this movie. It's It leaves ambiguous who those aliens are. Like, it's very 2001. We're leaving you with that uh, red, red eye, red dot kind of main villain. Uh, I thought that was cool. Like, who the fuck are these guys that just blew up the moon and took over Earth and, you know, are basically just cloning this guy over and over again? Yeah, we don't we don't uh, need to know. We don't no no, I agree. I 100% yeah, we don't yeah. need but those questions, you know, the, when it begs you those questions like 
like you said, like why didn't this movie get graphic novels or sequel or like? Here's the thing, though. Sorry, who was the director for this movie again? Joseph Kaczynski. Okay. He started writing this as a graphic novel. Really? He started writing it as a graphic novel, and it was going to be published as a graphic novel, but he eventually just went, I like this idea too much. I want to make a movie out of it. Yeah. Okay, I'm finding it on Google now. There is a book on it, actually, which came out earlier. Oh, okay, this is interesting. So the movie is based on a book originally like like yes by, but no by joseph by joseph kaczynski yeah yes like, but no because yeah, the book wasn't finished before the movie it. was finished oh okay so they were kind of working in parallel and then he just said fuck it i'll make it into a movie right and that's what i think killed it uh killed its potential because if maybe. he had made a graphic novel and had um allowed room to explore more stories further on like you could have had adaptation material see maybe but like you know like other sci-fi movies usually don't need to bank on that that it needs a graphic novel beforehand usually the movie kind of stems that in the first place one of the things that i thought honestly held it back maybe from reaching that in a weird way could have been tom cruise like i i I, to me like when the movie came out i just saw this as another tom cruise movie and maybe that's to my bias and like just a flaw at that time of how i saw movies and tom cruise as an actor but like you know like you you almost picture a less mainstream actor in that role. Like, you you know, you want less of a known face. Like, I don't want to see Tom Cruise and know it's Tom Cruise. Like, this movie does a good job in immersing me into a world and into the character of Jack. But there's a lot of times where it's just like, you know, that's fucking Tom Cruise. You can't get around that. I thought the so, exact same thing. The exact same thing. The same I was thing. like, yeah. like, I get why they casted Tom Cruise. Because it's fucking Tom yeah. Cruise, and this movie needs. Who wouldn't, to... you know? Yeah, who wouldn't ca- ca- cast Tom Cruise? But like, I but... wish they casted some sort of unknown, where I could like yeah. go even further into the movie, right? Yeah, because the fem- like every, I mean, Morgan Freeman fucking is in this movie, and he is epically awesome. In, oh yeah, in the character he plays. Oh yeah, this is one of the best Morgan Freeman roles. Like he's total badass. But um. Oh, what was I getting into? Like, there's what like, like you you would just be like immersed in the story. Then Tom Cruise would do like a Tom Cruise thing, and you'd be like, oh, that's Tom Cruise. Yeah. When like when yeah, he's for sure. like, there's it's just the one line I was laughing at so hard, where he's where it's like right after, um, what's her name? Olga. His wife. Olga's her name? I don't know. I didn't oh, catch her name. no, I didn't catch her name. I think Olga's the actress's name. Anyways, okay. um, his wife Julia, gets... Julia, Julia. Yeah, Julia. His wa- Yeah, Jack and Julia, right. And his wife is always Julia, like, in every movie, too. Do you realize that? Like, in Men in, or in Mission Impossible, the wife's name is Julia, too. Like, sorry, no, jeez. Reminded me of that, too. I guess they yeah. kind of just maybe sent him the wrong script. <laughs> it was Loki a Men in, or a Mission Impossible sequel, yeah. and he's like, oh, I like this in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's really far in the future. Yeah. Anyways, that's you, good. It's good. Scientology. Yeah. Yeah. I like how we're already doing the voice because I was like, I was just getting that like when she gets done telling him, I know. Yeah. She's his yeah, wife. Yeah. He's like, that's impossible. That's impossible. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. That's Tom <laughs> <It's>, Cruise. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And there's just it, in his mannerisms, it, it just says it a lot. Like his head that, bobbles so much when yeah. he tries to be or dramatic. His smirk. Or his little smirk that he gives. Yeah. And you know, Edge of Tomorrow does it a lot too, but I think it plays into the favor of that movie because he's kind of a douchebag in the beginning of Edge of Tomorrow. Like, he's kind of an asshole. 
like a bit of a like into his celebrity like as a character so i guess like in edge of tomorrow like it's just more viable like as tom cruise but in oblivion because of the character he played i'm much what like that's jack harper clone trooper essentially right yeah so i would like that that's the joke i was waiting to say this whole time like that's when he says like when he goes to see salon he's like i'm jack harper I was like in my head the line after that is clone trooper like because mm-hmm. that's what you are bro you're you're the clone trooper. I want to see a that's... movie on the because they talk about the initial invasion of the Tom Cruises. Mm-hmm. Like that's how the apocalypse happened. Was this thing made a bunch oh, of clones yeah, of Tom yeah, Cruises yeah. and he just sent them I down know. and slaughtered everyone? Thousands, thousands of them. Like yeah, that's crazy. That's and then you see a little hint of that in the the in their fetus chambers, um, all the Tom Cruises and. The, the woman that he was with in the beginning yeah um but yeah like just the backstory we got of the war that happened you know see like I, I guess a little bit of my gripes was we were just told a lot of those things like even that little faction rebellion thing like i wish we just saw saw kind of a little more of that rather than being told that and i guess because like yeah this is coming from a book story kind of format so you know it is a big worded world to try to get out in a cohesive manner so it does get i guess yeah there is a lot of exposition that needed yeah. i guess i don't i wouldn't say needed because there needed, there are better ways to show, tell it but yeah exactly it's how you show that exposition because you need to tell uh you need to tell essentially to enforce the world like we need to be shown but also kind of told these stories of the world but i would think how you tell those stories or how you tell the, the aspects of the world like what I'm trying to say is like how when he's riding his bike across the wasteland and you see the city underneath the kind of ground that he's on and like how those are skyscrapers. So like what the fuck happened there? You know, like that's such an intriguing way of kind of diving into that aspect of the story, you know? Right. Right. And there's like a lot of, there's there's a lot of instances of that. Sorry, you go ahead. There is a lot of instances. Yeah. Imagine if he saw like, dead body versions of himself his other clones around and that's how he realized like he's just one of many yeah. you know like uh, that would have been fucking horrifying like even as an audience to just watch that so i want to know what tech 74 is up to he's probably oh yeah he's probably i mean blown up like after Honestly, sally gets blown up like a, what like what happens to the other techs okay so if we're talking about the ending ending now well that's what we'll get into Julia ends up living with Tech, what was it, 52? 52, because 49 committed suicide, or did a kamikaze. He did, yeah, he did a kamikaze, heroic save-the-day moment, which was, you know, well-earned, it was good. Like, that's a good, I was kind of comparing it to Star Wars earlier with that, like, I wish that's the story we got with Rey. Like, I don't mean to divert conversation a little bit, but, like, I'm kind of going to get into it, but, like, if they showed Rey as a clone in episode 9, and her whole purpose of the story was kind of to do what Jack Harper does in this story, which was, like, bring humanity together and, like, just take down that final evil, like, kamikaze style. Like, you know, like, that would have just at least given her as a character more value. Trying to say, like, you know, you're not who you were made to be. You're not this product. You're not this soulless being with, with no purpose. Like, you created your destiny at the end of the day. And I think that was a big theme of this film was like, what is your soul? Like, what is your purpose and destiny 
in 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 conjunction with your soul like you know what does all that mean um and like that just kind of gets into a bit of the ending of it like it doesn't run the whole course of the film asking those questions that's just like a little bit of the end but i i appreciated that questioning for sure yeah um Sorry, I, don't, I, I got into a lot there, but yeah, you're probably like going from Star Wars to a whole bunch of other shit. Yeah, but. I'm not sure how to end this because like there's, um, I was just disheartened because I wish, because the world set up had a lot of potential to be expanded upon, like not necessarily just in the movies, but mm-hmm. it's a cool world to, it's a cool world to get yeah. into and there's lots of story potential within that world. And the yeah. story they told within the movie itself was really good. I think it. Um, I think it's a shame that, like, and we'll, we'll talk about Edge of Tomorrow. But like, Edge of Tomorrow gets a lot of praise still, despite not like making a lot of money at the box office. Yeah, it still gets a lot of praise, and rightfully so. But like, it got more attention. Yeah, think, Oblivion like, as, doesn't as get a that. Good sci-fi film? No, it doesn't. Uh, it just and, doesn't you know, get something. That. I just realized that from the director Joseph Kaczynski uh, another sci-fi film that he made was Tron Legacy uh, I've actually never seen underrated, that underrated oh like that's a film like I think uh, it kind of falls in specific crowds like I, I've talked to a bunch of people who like you know that it has its own like cult following at this point like again it, it'll be a timeless film but for specific people like people who really love the music or the visuals like love the movie but you know, another movie that he directed and amazing potential in the world it sets up that just wasn't carried through in any way. Um, but if you haven't seen Tron Legacy, I would definitely say, yeah, you would like it. Like, you should you should get into that. And I speak to you, audience, if you haven't seen Oblivion. And even though he just spoiled and kind of like rambled on it, still go and watch it. And it's, yeah, it's still great. Go and, yeah, we gave away some, some pretty uh, big points there, I guess, at the end of it, but... I think it's still worth to see. Like, honestly, like, uh, going into it, like, just because we, obviously we had pre-planned to watch this movie, I wouldn't have watched this movie, I think, otherwise. So I'm, I'm glad, like, this, if anything, like, this podcast really is just a good way to uh, just watch movies that otherwise we wouldn't watch, whether it's me or you. But um, in doing so, like, just kind of in, in the perspective of life where we are now, like, I wouldn't have got the same reaction in 2013 from this movie than I would now. Like I, I can see a lot more value in movies like this. So even if we did spoil it for you guys, like there, I'm sure like if you're into the sci-fi genre, oblivion itself is like, not, uh, you shouldn't miss it. Like this is a movie that people should watch for sure. Yeah. I went, I went in knowing the twist. I know I went in knowing that the twist was going to happen yeah. and, and I was still it, able to thoroughly enjoy it. It doesn't take away. It, it just really, not knowing just really adds to the whole appeal, I guess. Because, yeah, like, it just sets up a really cliche movie, and it doesn't go that way. It kind of go. It, okay, now the more I think about it, it is kind of cliche, but it's really good. If that makes sense. Right. The, it's not cliche, the, but it's really good. It, like, it impressively, and I, you know I hate this fucking term. It subverted my expectations. That's that's the least favorite term coming into yours or mine ears. Yes. At this point. But it did do that, and it did that yeah. well. Yeah. So, yeah, coming from... Uh, that's like a two thumbs up, I guess, from us. Definitely would recommend this movie. Uh, Hopefully it becomes a cult classic one day. 
yeah, it doesn't have that reputation right now, unfortunately. Like, I don't know. Like, I could see Edge of Tomorrow living up to that, but Oblivion, I think it'll be, like, even what's lesser than a cult classic? It'll be, like, you know, I think people will see Oblivion or remember Oblivion as a Tom Cruise movie, but for the people who have seen it or, like, who are into the sci-fi will, like, actually appreciate it, hopefully, more for a good sci-fi film. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Speaking of good sci-fi films, Edge of Tomorrow is pretty fucking sweet. Another Tom Cruise film, yes. It's and another good Tom Cruise sci-fi film at that. Like, I don't even know where to begin with this movie. This movie is so clever. Yeah, and its concept it's, it plays it, with. Yeah, so it's if you haven't seen it, it deals with the Groundhog Day, I guess element of storytelling uh that groundhog day the film uh iconically kind of told in in that the day just keeps repeating over and over again but kind of the world that it sets up around that is so cool and like you know we've never really seen a story like this before so why don't you get into it what what did you like about it um oh quite a bit tom cruise was really good in this movie Surprise, surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. I really liked the, again, with like the world building. This less so because it's more of a contained story. You Mm -hmm. can't really expand on the world outside of it. But within the contained story, the world feels really realistic. Like the technology used, the language used, the scenario. um, All of it was like a completely realistic like sci-fi setting to really get into um and i appreciate those quite a bit like oblivion was like less so realistic but like not as much but this was like hyper realistic in a way it's like yeah it was almost like modern day like this is something that you could see happening uh like in today's world probably yeah like a lot of the technology used is still looks futuristic but like not in the sense of our I like our it's not like it's, it's not oblivion futuristic no it, like I guess what you're trying to say like uh oblivion is like what we think the future looks like where uh edge of tomorrow is like what the future is most likely actually gonna look like yeah exactly right? exactly yeah it's a much more brutal brutalist warfare like the exoskeleton suits that they wear and use aren't pretty they're not sleek they're bulky and they look like they're weighing you down like you can't really fight in them you know that's like one of my first takeaways from even like the trailers when this movie came out i was like holy shit like they didn't like tone themselves down on the design of this movie at all like the art design they really leaned in on sci-fi elements and like just out there kind of military stuff which i thought was cool so yeah like the world the the setting everything was like really easy to jump into again um i want to talk about like the uniqueness of the enemy they did a really good job of differentiating it like it's like a typical alien invasion mm-hmm. but like the aliens are like way different than anything yeah. i've ever seen before like the design like the the art team and the design team like did a really really good job so they 
how they work as aliens are like you said they're very unique and they're smart like it it just goes back to like the smart writing of the movie but like they're smart aliens which is cool they're not just like they're not they don't make mistakes that's like the whole setup point they they've thought everything through they're not aliens that make mistakes so it it like it gives a lot of like weight to what the characters actions are like uh every action is of importance basically even though it's like a live die repeat scenario it's like the aliens are always one step ahead so how are they gonna outthink the aliens or like how will how will they be written out of the situation almost but it never relies on you know like writing out of a situation it's it it just stays within the world of the story throughout the film you know right it doesn't cop out ever no never really it it stays like it has defined rules and it has like really high stakes and it has a situation that's like almost impossible to overcome but that sort of lends to good sci-fi stories where it's like you have this environmental threat that gets handled with ingenuity and like Mm -hmm. that makes the like like we all knew I'm guessing like you knew how this movie was going to end like given like the 25 minute mark but Mm -hmm. the way it ends is still satisfying for the audience even though you know what's going to happen for sure and yeah it it sets you up with that ending early on like from a visual standpoint like you know that's going to be an ending uh kind of uh where their end off will be in that place but you know you you feel like oh shit like you accomplished something at least getting through the movie like it gives you a sense of fulfillment i find getting to the ending right they earned like it's like you know the ending's coming you know what's happening but like the ingenuity and the character development that gets you to that point um it makes it all worth it it's like a it's a it's a really good journey movie Mm -hmm. yeah a good journey movie and a good uh i don't want to say like buddy cop movie it's not really a buddy cop movie but a good duo a good action duo a great action duo you're right great action duo emily blunt uh who's also in this movie is like awesome like fucking badass bro yeah her and then like they expand on other badass characters later in the in the movie as well yeah, so it's like yeah, they yeah. they have really good character like again i'll go back to like the alien franchise and the sequel aliens where they have like nothing characters that are part of the military but they're really like flushed out in minor ways and they have the, like their own unique personalities and it yeah really lends to improving the, story, the movie and like the world yeah the world and then adding some longevity to the story as well yeah there's that one uh like the techie character you know like all sci-fi stories i guess kind of have that but i found him kind of funny like that you know like that's that's what it does like it just it it doesn't waste characters you know i hate when a movie will just throw away a character just for like either a line or just to give an exposition like no there's always you you get a sense like these are people in the world who play a important role in everything like whether it's even if it's they're just comedic relief like you get a sense like okay like that's the funny guy in the military of this corpse and he's gonna die because he's an idiot like you know and he oh guess what he died like you know yeah it's like we can like go on for like character really drives this movie forward um in my opinion um 
but I think what really sends it home is like the implementation of the base concept of the movie is so clever and I couldn't help but laugh and smile throughout the movie as they used it mm-hmm. in like such clever ways um, and if you don't know it's like in this movie Tom Cruise's character which I'm just going to call Tom Cruise because I forget his character's name already it's probably Jack it's probably Jack anyways Jack Cruise um, gets uh, it's explained later on but he gets the ability to restart the day after he dies um, and restart back to a set point so that allows him to he's never that allows him to gain lifetimes of experience within a day so yeah they really play with that concept really well in like really funny ways in a lot of ways For sure. like really badass ways in some ways where he's like yeah. doing like no look like he just knows what's gonna happen because yeah, like yeah, exactly. who knows how long or how many times he's lived through that exactly and they just hint at that they never like he says it himself like gives you a lifetime worth of experience basically turning a guy from who is a deserter in the beginning essentially like you know not a fighting man into a fighting man you see that journey which is fucking sick and like there's it's so there's so many things i found funny there's like again this movie pushes pg-13 again in like the best way there was a little bit where they're trying to figure they're like emily blunt's character is training tom cruise and he's thinking out loud like have you guys tried of like sh- spreading this power yet like have we tried to share the power that i have like and Amber the blunt goes yeah like we've tried it all blood transfusion everything and jack cruz goes oh but you know have you tried it all like you know i was thinking about this thing for a while but like what if what if we fucked you know what if we had some sex like you can tell like this guy you know like obviously it's a romance there's a romance thing building up there but like the way they show that and like this guy is still at the end of the day thinking like, yeah, this girl is hot. Like he wants to smash and like just they play the way they played our off was pretty fucking jokes. Oh yeah. Like a lot of things they, they play off as jokes at the beginning, but like they'll expand on it as, as you would if you're reliving it over yeah. and over and over and over again. Well, that just builds into the relationship also of those characters. Cause a lot of cliches in kind of any kind of movie is always the romantic, you know, like, any big movie has to have the romance and like the romantic chemistry and blah 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 and like if we could compare to oblivion for a sec like i didn't buy the romance or that you know relationship as much in that movie even though it's integral to that movie i just didn't buy into it as much and again partly the reason like tom cruise's tom cruise and the actress is like some no-name actress so there's just things that didn't really work out but whereas in this movie like they take the time to like share or like show you the building of that connection like whether it's just starting off with glances to like low-key jokes and these innuendos and whatever until like the end where he's like truly cares for her and like that's shown cinematically that's shown over through the progression of time which like this movie just like does really well is use that groundhog day way of storytelling yeah i guess in oblivion it was more of um and that's kind of like poor writing on their, on their part. Like the a character was a plot device, which is never really like always the best thing. It's like she was just there to um, substitute for plot. 
in yeah. a way. So like they never really gave her a character in Oblivion. Whereas obviously, no. yeah, this one they and a lot of movies don't do this nowadays, where you just have scenes where they sit and talk, like mm-hmm. in especially in action movies. Like you know, I'll I'll bring up Star Wars now, where you have. Empire Strikes Back, it. like the first part of Empire Strikes Back is like nothing. It's just characters talking and mm-hmm. and it really paces out the movie and it like really expands on character because I think we can both agree yeah. character within movie is probably the most defining factor. It's you need Well, it's what you remember the most. Yeah. About the characters and who are they and what they stand for and So yeah. so what was really jarring about the second film in the latest trilogy is you don't get that. You get no. action right away. You don't have time to breathe, right? And this movie really gives you time to breathe. Like, it's not just nonstop action, as much fun as that would be, because the action scenes within this movie are fucking fantastic. Yeah. But it gives but it's you like, time to it's not, decompress from that. For sure. But I, I never found... A, like, you're saying the movie allows you time to breathe, yet it still maintains a nonstop pace. You know, like there's a sense of urgency throughout the film. There's a sense of like, okay, they have to get to this place. And within the, which is so like a testament of good filmmaking and like a good story, but within the action, they let these moments kind of come out. These like breathable moments. Like there's things that you're just like fully like aware of, like the things that were set up or just moments of growth for the character that are visually displayed. Like, there, there's these things very repetitive things that we see over and over again like the same scenes that are from a shot perspective shot the same and that's just to enhance the idea like okay he's living the same day over and over again but you know like how his mannerisms and like how his persona just over the time kind of changes and how his relationships change is what's important at the end of the day and like they never like sacrifice those relationships or those deep moments and moments of growth for like oh here's something cool because at the end of the day they work hand in hand they're both cool things like and if you can show them at the same time and like kind of maintain that balance then you know it just it it, it the movie worked hand in hand is what i'm trying to say right and structurally and from a narrative standpoint i think this movie is better than oblivion but i think oblivion's Mm. ceiling is higher if that makes sense are you saying in the sense of storytelling potential storytelling potential and like in the sense of um oh fuck yeah storytelling potential like this is a very defined story like i don't know where you'd go from here no you said it best it's contained yeah the story ends as soon as not as soon as like you can you know like a good story you can kind of think further into what's going to happen what's going on but yeah the, uh, edge of tomorrow is pretty contained like it does kind of tell you a good world building story like in the sense it drops you into this uh event that's already happened and occurred and you're kind of just uh a working man I, not a working man but you're just like one of the regular guys who's put into the situation of like figuring it all out and having to come up with a solution so in, in that sense, it is still very sci-fi. It, it, but, yeah, I agree with you. Like, Oblivion just has a lot better potential in, in terms of where it can go. It, but, like, again, like, what... 
why would Oblivion be less of a successful movie? Because, you know, like, money-wise, Edge of Tomorrow still made quite a bit of money for its budget. Like, it's a $178 million budget and made $370 million, so almost $400 million as a box office. And, that like, for an original sci-fi movie, that's a pretty good... Uh, like Tom Cruise aside and whatever, but like that's a pretty good return. Not as original as Oblivion, though, which is the thing. Not ex- because exactly it's based right. off of a Japanese story. Edge of Tomorrow is. Edge of Tomorrow is based off of a oh, Japanese boy. manga or comic book, and that comic book is based off of a novel. Oh. So it's like a third layer. Like it's. I see. Like, it's been adapted a couple yeah, of times. Yeah, it's it's really far away from the source material. Yeah, but it still has the basic idea. Whereas Oblivion was a completely original idea created by somebody, which yeah. is why like I am a little disheartened that. Yeah, it's an original story, and you get a sense of this. Like it, it is very original, and that's funny that you mention uh, the anime and kind of storytelling there too, because there's some things that in Edge of Tomorrow that are like straight up ripped from a manga, like. Uh, Emily Blunt's character carrying that big ass Inuyasha type of sword, like that's just sick. A sword you know, that's that way too big for movie. anyone to carry, but yeah, it's just badass. It's just like a slab of metal that she's just hauling and chopping with. For sure. So yeah, when I say it's like Edge of Tomorrow is just it's a better movie. I had probably more fun viewing that movie than I did Oblivion, but mm-hmm. um. Oblivion, I'm a little more disheartened that it wasn't watched. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, like there has to be not something that we could do, but like I wish there was more of a way to, and I guess like we can kind of use this as a platform, but there needs to be more of a way to get that story out there so we can sort of, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe more maybe make world. something of it down the road. Yeah, well, you never know. Like I think sequels are always potential like the fact that this world exists probably will never take the the idea of a sequel in any form kind of off the table like i'm reading here that a sequel for edge of tomorrow is apparently in planning as of right now so if that movie can have a sequel then why shouldn't um oblivion you know like that if one deserves a sequel or or, uh an expansion of you know what i'll say it like this actually best oblivion probably doesn't need a sequel in a movie sense but it could use for more content for that world whether it's prequels or side stories it gives that allowance like it gives that intrigue you know i would want to see a prequel movie into oblivion or or just a side story of one of those from the soldier's point of view um whereas edge of tomorrow like if it's based off a manga then you know like i'll read the manga then you know or whatever but like i don't even have that base interest that's not really there the story was contained well enough where like okay i'm good with it at that point and i think you feel kind of the same way like the fact that it's an original story oblivion kind of is more enticing to you too right yeah it stings because it's like there's there was so much i find there's like there's more love and care i think put into oblivion than there is edge of tomorrow and that's not to say the edge of tomorrow would like wasn't detailed written and it, there wasn't love put into it um oblivion was obviously like a project that a lot of people including tom cruise were very passionate about and yeah, it felt like a passion project yeah 
And yo, we we didn't even mention it before. We got Jamie Lannister hauling ass in Oblivion. Like yeah, like, oh jeez, I know, I know. Like um, I can't pronounce his name because it's way too Swedish, but um, <laughs> like we'll just call him Jamie Jackson. Like this came out twenty thirteen. When did Game of Thrones start? I think twenty twelve. Yeah, the Game of Thrones. Hold on here. Uh, season one. 11, 2011. 2011. So this is two years after Game of Thrones. Season one. So like, and he just kind of popped out out of nowhere. And I was like, I, yeah. I audibly went, what the fuck? Because I forgot he was yeah, in this movie. He looks good in both those roles. Like uh, that kind of brutish military guy. Like he played that well. The brutish asshole, but later gains the respect of the main character. and Yeah. That, that cliche he's, he's story noble. but done, done, yeah, he's noble in his own way but he's still an asshole and and uh, a hard edge the killer. noble asshole what a fucking yeah. archetypal character i mean he's he's that he's that archetype essentially i love how we're just talking about oblivion again and that kind of just sort of seals the deal on like edge of tomorrow is a good movie but like we can't stop talking about oblivion no but oblivion has a lot like we could talk about oblivion for like another episode if we wanted to like i could just get into the you know the, we took i guess this episode we're talking about from the perspective or from the point of view of why a movie like that is not successful but it, it just it leads for so many conversation like good amazing visuals amazing use of score and soundtrack like we barely touched on that but like the score was just epic and like uh just moving and like grand and like everything you kind of want from this dystopian new world that is now earth you know like it was exactly that, just a dystopian Earth. You know, we could do that if you want. I'm totally down. It, in, an, in, like, another episode or continuing this? Like, we could... Because um, we're getting up on the two-hour mark soon, so I think we should yeah. maybe wrap this up soon. But I, I'm really down to still talk about Oblivion further. Yeah, we. I yeah, I, I could, man. Like, this is... Like, you, you know me. I'm into the, the whole art book collection thing now, and getting into the behind the scenes of films and like this is a movie that i knew a little bit of before watching it which was like how it used that vfx wall technology which the mandalorian now uses but um off that like little bit like i would really be interested in getting to like the concept art of this movie and like the thought behind all that kind of stuff and the design i think there's a lot of stuff there sure like let's you know let's let's do it next week we'll get some more research into oblivion i'll probably do another viewing That'd be cool, yeah. Yeah, I'm totally down. All right. It's settled. Uh, yeah, Chady, do you... Uh, we ha- we did talk about something last week for our next episode in terms of a big episode discussion. Did you still want to do that next week or save that for another week? Oh, I know it's a big... It is a big one. For that. Um, I kind of yeah. want to keep the momentum going on Oblivion. Okay. If you know what I mean? Okay, so if we're, if we're talking Oblivion next week, let's continue the sci-fi dis- discussion because I'm really liking... Uh, the theme of sci-fi here yeah for sure yeah. So, um, um and then we so, can do we want to say what that big episode yeah let, why not let's yeah why not okay so, we should tease it a bit so it's a really big episode in terms of content because we have potentially two of the biggest franchises ever well not potentially they are fair point two of the biggest franchises ever so we i sid's never seen lord of the rings and that's starting to piss me off a little bit 
So yeah. I'm going to force him to watch it. But we're also going to talk about like sort of cultural significance and um, we're going to compare it and contrast it and sort of see how it is on his spectrum with regards to Star Wars because everything... Well, I don't... I don't see no. You're now you're gonna paint it in the way that I compare everything to Star Wars. Well, or or I hold Star Wars to the highest regard, which I might hold Star Wars to the highest regard. And if this honestly to play devil's advocate, I do talk a lot about Star Wars. Like I mentioned Star Wars when we were talking about Oblivion. So yeah, I could probably bring Star Wars into any conversation of life, which just talks like that's a testament to how great that story is, Cheney. You gotta fucking admit that it's a great bloody story. But what yeah, what we are gonna do is essentially talk. Um, not compare kind of maybe in a versus format or kind of compare those epic stories and just the qualities of what makes stories epic and like Cheney kind of has the argument from how all of these epic and great stories are kind of based off Lord of the Rings and I would argue against that kind of and say Star Wars stands on itself so I guess we're coming kind of coming in from that kind of angle yeah for sure um, I think the art archetypal hero's journey is best exemplified through both these stories um but i think tolkien's world and tolkien's story was the first one to really um envelop a story that was a oh, you know what we'll get into it later We'll get into. We'll it. get into it. We're gonna we're gonna drag this into a four hour episode. Exactly. But yeah. So we'll we'll get into it in the next one. So stay tuned for that. That's gonna be a fun one. I I would imagine. But because yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Next week, more Oblivion and sci-fi talk. Sci-fi talk. Yeah. I think there's a big range of sci-fi. I think rather than just uh, rushing into what movies watch, let's talk about it kind of as the days progress. Let's kind of make a list maybe of what we want to watch and talk about. Yeah. In the sci-fi Yeah, genre? for sure. Yeah. In the sci-fi yeah. genre, and we'll kind of yeah. leap off that from our Oblivion we'll talk. So. Yeah. And we'll, yeah, we'll update the Instagram if you're not following our Instagram. Follow us on Mythic Morons where we constantly post, uh, you know, we'll, we'll post some more stuff about, like, the movies we're watching and, like, just other fun things maybe. But, yeah, we are we're active on there. So keep up with the conversations. Um, yeah. Cheney, anything else you want to add? No, no. Thanks for watching. I mean, fucking listening. Thanks for listening. Yeah. yeah. All right. Signing off. Signing off, guys. Thank you. Peace.